0: Uh, I don't know about you, but one of the really huge challenges we face, uh, if we have faith, and actually we even face this if we're people without faith, is that there is just uh, an enormous amount of suffering and injustice in the world, isn't there? Like, there's just a whole world of pain out there. And one of the questions we've got to grapple with is, well, hang on, how does this work? If If there is a God and this God loves us or claims to love us and be powerful, uh, how on earth do we reconcile that with all the oppression and the injustice? Uh, Tonight, I'm not going to solve all of that for you. I wish I could, um, but I can't. It's a massive issue. But I'm going to head us in the right direction and show us a trajectory in which we can live where we can both grapple with the answers intellectually, but actually live out some of the answers practically. It's not a new question, it's not a new challenge. Ecclesiastes 4, the writer saw, uh, looked around and saw all the oppression that was taking place under the sun. I saw the tears of the oppressed and they have no comforter. Power was on the side of their oppressors and they have no comforter. It is a reality in our world from when this was written, say two and a half thousand, three thousand years ago, right up to today, that those of us with power will use our power to advantage ourselves uh, and uh, at the expense of the powerless. It was a problem then, it's been a problem throughout human history, it's a problem today. And the problem is these people have, when they're weak and powerless, they have no one to rescue them, no one to side with them. Uh, estimates range between 40 and 45 million people are held in some form of slavery today. So the population of Australia is what? Say 24 million? Uh, nearly twice the population of Australia. So what this means is just think about this when you walk out of this building, Everyone you see on your imagine if everybody you came across in the week ahead of you was a slave. Everyone, we're all slaves. Everyone in Australia, the entire nation is enslaved, and then another nation, almost the same size of us, are held as slaves. That is what is true in the world today, and it's a terrible evil. But you know, it's worse than that. Slavery is just the tip of the iceberg. About four billion people live outside the protection of the law, outside the protection of a functioning justice system. Uh, You see, we living here in Australia, uh, or the developed world, we take a functioning uh, justice system for granted. But imagine this, you're at home and uh, you hear someone banging on the door downstairs and you realize it's your ex-boyfriend. You've got an AVO out against him because he's, he's been violent towards you. You've reported him. He's beaten you up in the past. He's downstairs. He's drunk. He's got a gun. And you know he's coming to get you. So you pick up the phone and you dial triple zero, and the, the operator answers. And uh, you say, this, the, my ex-boyfriend is downstairs. He's got a gun. He's coming to kill me. And the operator says to you, I... Uh, I'm sorry, ma'am, but due to budget cuts, we don't have anyone to send to help you. Now imagine what that would be like when you cry for help and there's no one at the other end of the line to come and rescue you. Now that actually is a recording of a 911 call in the US where exactly that happened and the woman was killed because there was no one at the end of the line to protect her. We take it for granted that when you ask for help, help will come. For four billion poor people, that is not the case. That at any moment, a powerful person can come into their lives, steal their property, uh, rape their wives, steal and enslave their children, and brutally assault them. That is the reality all around the world. Uh, And you say, how can this happen? Well, at least one reason why it happens is it's big business. There's a lot of money in oppression. Uh, Human trafficking generates about $150 billion a year, two-thirds from commercial sexual exploitation. A child goes missing in India every eight minutes, and nearly half are never found. So say I speak for 32 minutes, optimistically. Uh, Speak for 32 minutes... That is, uh, four children who will go missing during the time that I speak, and two of them will never be found. They will be trafficked uh, into slave labor and into commercial sexual exploitation. That's going to happen. That, that is happening even as we speak. Uh, credible and conservative estimates of global sex trafficking indicate there are between 4.2 and 11.5 million people held in forced commercial sexual exploitation. And, friends, that number's going up with the massive wave of migrants flooding across Europe from, uh, from the Middle East and from Africa. The vulnerable women and children are being picked off by human traffickers and trafficked into commercial sexual exploitation. There's been a massive uptick in this uh, over the last couple of years. Let me introduce you to uh, Kumar. You're working 14,
1: 18-hour days with very little sleep, no freedom, dignity is taken away from them. And, and that's something nobody should have to endure. We had a number of years ago, two of the bond laborers escaped from a facility. And they were tracked down by the owners of the facility and, and brought back. And as a punishment for what they had done, their hands were chopped off. We would go to the government officers and we'd say, sir, there is a bonded labor case. And almost always the response was, there is no bonded labor in my area. What are you talking? How much?
0: 30. Yeah, I'm happy. Ruchira? There's a girl who's very afraid. Almost unable to walk.
1: This is Kumar. He was abandoned by his mother, and his father was suddenly killed. Orphaned and alone, he was accountable for his parents' debts. And at just seven years old, he was forced into slavery. Kumar remembers a day where he was so ill he couldn't get out of bed. Immediately, his owner came looking for him. I am on, the village <laughs> to I am Kumar was trapped by debt and a slave owner who beat him continuously. He, like so many, had no remaining hope for a way out.
0: So, uh, what does God think about that? Big question for us. Well, the Bible is really, really clear. Uh, One of many, many examples, Psalm 10. The psalmist says, You, Lord, hear the desire of the afflicted. You encourage them and you listen to their cry, defending the fatherless and the oppressed, so that mere earthly mortals will never again strike terror. The Old Testament the scriptures are so clear that God's heart is for the poor, for the vulnerable, for the broken, for the oppressed. The very center of the claim of Christianity is that we come to know a God of justice who's made the world uh, for justice, to live and operate on the lines of justice, but we have terribly, terribly messed it up. Now, one of the great tragedies of the world, is that even God's people, Israel, in the Old Testament, they had these instructions from God about how to, how to love the oppressed, how to do justice, how to walk humbly with their God. They, they, God told them how to live, how to care for the poor, but as in so many ways, Israel failed because the problem was in too deep, the problem of the orientation of... Within each of our souls, to use our power to oppress the vulnerable was a problem that was so deep in Israel that, and as it was in every human heart, that simply telling them what to do wouldn't solve the problem. Something else was needed. And that something else was that the God of justice himself would step onto the stage of human history, himself to right what was wrong, himself to bring justice. And freedom to the world. So it's no accident that when God arrives and announces the beginning of his public ministry in the person of his son Jesus, uh, this is how he starts in Luke's gospel. The Spirit, this is Jesus, picks up the scroll, reads from the book of Isaiah, and says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me, that is, God has made me Israel's Messiah and King. That's what it means to be anointed. He says, Spirit of the Lord has anointed me to do what? To bring good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. To let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Now, uh, one of the great tragedies in our uh, comfortable, um, developed world, Western Christianity of the last hundred years or so is we've, we've some, sometimes diminished the impact of those words and what we've thought to ourselves as well, you know, what that really means is Jesus has come for those who are spiritually poor. It wasn't really serious about the literally poor people, and we reduce the good news The gospel, the good news, becomes essentially about saying, taking us in this world out of this broken world and popping us up, taking us off and plopping us down in heaven and saving our souls from this messed up world. It's not God's plan, according to this text, is it? It's a bit like, uh, imagine you live in a in a totally run-down old workers' cottage here in Roselle or Belmayne. There's still a few of them dotted around. You know, I mean, they still sell for exorbitant amounts of money. But imagine you're in this thing and it's falling down around you. And uh, the semi-gospel truth is that the, the building's falling down and what God does is he sends in a rescue squad to pick you out of your falling-down, run-down shack and take you down to a harbourfront mansion on, in East Belmaine and and put you there. And that's that's what we think the gospel means. God's going to take us from this messed up world and put us in a beautiful new world. Actually, that's not true at all. Actually, what the gospel is, what Jesus is saying is, you know what? God doesn't show up in the world to rescue us from it. He shows up in the world as the project manager, architect, fixer, builder who's going to come and restore it and recreate it and take this broken down shack that we've messed up and make it work the way it's meant to work. He's here to heal it to do away with all injustice and all evil, everything that messes up this house that God has given us, he's come to fix. And then he's going to fix us up, and then we're going to live in this renewed creation in a place of glory and beauty and delight and joy. And it started with Jesus. That work of restoring and recreating and renewing and healing the world, Jesus says, that's begun in me. I'm here to heal the world, to renew all of creation but here's the thing right I don't know why God does this but he gives us a role to play in that which is nuts right if I was God and it's good news I'm not but if I was God I'd just send in my own demolition crew man I'd be like these humans are useless tradies they are just tradies never show up man you book them to come do some work on the house and they're never there. They're just down at the beach. They're, they're chucking a sickie for all of their lives, completely uninvolved in God's great building plan. But God says, no, what I want to do is I want to, I want to work with people. I want to work with you guys. This, this people here in Darling Street, I want you to join with me in this. These are some of the instructions he gives us. If we want to fix this world, if we want to work with God, again, book of Isaiah Learn to do right, seek justice, defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the fatherless, plead the case of the widow. Now, I sometimes think, I don't know if you sometimes think, I sometimes do, thinking's good, but sometimes I think, man, we overcomplicate Christianity enormously we make it so difficult here's here's the essence of christianity it is all about love and in this culture in the current debates that's quite an important point to make right Uh, this is the essence of humanity when jesus was asked to summarize the law uh, and what is what is god's intention for us he said this true humanity is to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. If you want to know how to lead a good life, you want to know what it is to serve God and to make a difference in the world, well, then love God with a totality of being and love your neighbor as yourself. Two questions arise, though. The first one is, what is love? Okay, Because a lot of our confusion arises from our confusion around love. So typically, in our contemporary language, we, when we say we love something, what we really mean is we desire it strongly, right? So even in the, uh, the current plebiscite debate, when we say it's all about love, what we're really meaning is it's about a strong desire for the other to be with the other. So, for example, uh, we might say, I love chocolate. Okay, I don't really love chocolate, actually. I desire chocolate. Because uh, love, biblically defined, at its core is about a relentless, other-person-centered commitment to will and do what is good for the other. So love is about actually, it, 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 has a, it can certainly have a component of desire. Desire comes and goes. But love, biblically, is about willing and doing what is good for the other. when I desire chocolate strongly, what do I typically do? I eat it. That's not so good for the chocolate, is it? It's maybe not even so good for me long term, but you know, uh, that's what desire does. It consumes. Love is about what is good for the other. And God says this is what we should do. Now, the second question is what? If I figured out what is love, according to this, what's the next obvious question to ask? Who's my neighbor? And lawyers have been asking this question ever since Jesus first gave this command. And the first thing the lawyers, the religious lawyers did is they said, well, who's my neighbor? And so what was Jesus' response? He told them a story, story of the the Good Samaritan. Or you could reframe it, the story of the really messed up religious people, <laughs> which is probably just as helpful a way of framing it, right? So this guy gets beaten up on the road to Jerusalem, and he's lying there bleeding and dying. And and the succession, in the way the succession of religious people go past Jesus, priests, they're off to go worship in Jerusalem. And they're going to the temple. Now here's the thing, and they they they, they look at this guy bleeding on the side of the road, and they, they walk, they very carefully walk past him on their way to Jerusalem. Why? Because the risk for them was if they touched him and he was dead. According to the Levitical holiness codes, if you touched a dead body, you were ritually unclean and couldn't go and worship in the temple. So messed up religion says, I'm going to go and worship in the temple, and that takes priority even over a person bleeding to death on the side of the road. And then Jesus says, of course, the one person who really gets the heart of this is the Samaritan." And that's a slap across the face to all the religious guys because the Jewish folk, because the Jews hated the Samaritans. The Jews thought that the Samaritans were complete apostates who didn't understand anything about God. And he says, No, this guy understood the very heart of God is a heart of love and mercy and justice for the broken and the vulnerable. And that priority of love takes precedence over the priority of religious temple observances. That's the inner heart of God's whole plan. That's our responsibility to love. Now, it's quite obvious to me then that we need to care for people in the totality of their being, right? Uh, Is my neighbor not Kumar? Is your neighbor not the 20 million people held in bonded labor and commercial sexual exploitation in India? Is your neighbor, is my neighbor not The 10,000 young boys held in slavery on fishing boats in Ghana? Is your neighbor, is my neighbor not uh, women and children in Uganda who who are violently assaulted and kicked off their land by oppressive, powerful business people and men? They're our neighbors. And we're called to love them. Now, one of the great tragedies in our tradition theologically over the last 100 years, and we're, we're slowly getting away from this, is we've separated out uh, evangelism from caring for the poor. And if you've grown up in, in this city and going to churches in Sydney, you'll have heard a lot about what really matters is preaching the gospel. That is, that is what's eternally significant. And you've got to be very careful. You don't want to, you know, the social gospel is all about caring for people's physical needs, and, and you don't want to do that. You've got to just... What matters most is evangelism because you don't want to send you know, uh, hungry people to hell slightly better fed, if you've ever heard that argument. It, it's been around here in the city for a, a very long time. And I always think that just seems slightly strange to me because I think the demand of love doesn't separate out... You know, uh, whether I care for someone spiritually or care for someone emotionally or care for someone physically or care for their legal needs, it's just love, right? In fact, the Bible's really clear. If you see a brother or a sister in need and you ignore their need, how can you claim to have love? Says the letter of John. You, You just can't. So it's really, for me, it's really simple you look at the world and you go, okay, Lord, you've given me the responsibility and the opportunity to go and love people. I want to love them in word. I want to love them by sharing the good news of Jesus with them, but I want to love them indeed. I want to rescue them. I want to see uh, that, that they are protected from evil and injustice. So our opportunity is, is given to us by God. And this is the mission of our church. So if you're visiting here tonight, this is what you need to understand about the DNA about, of the church, and actually about what I think every local church and the body of Christ is on about. Our mission is to work with God. It's not just us. It's working with God to bring spiritual, cultural, and social renewal to our community, our city, and our world. That that this is what we're doing. We're working with God to renovate everything. And it starts here, but it goes to the ends of the earth. And it encompasses our spiritual lives, but also it has to. It has to encompass rescuing people from slavery. It's one of the, the most startlingly obvious evils in the world. There is such moral clarity around slavery there is no excuse. Once we see that it's there, there is no excuse to not do something about it. Uh, now, you might say, but Mark, what can I do? That's a good question. That's the right question to ask. I don't see many of us about to jump on a plane and head to India to bust into a you know, brick kiln and set some captives free, right? We don't have the skill set to do that. We're just lovely people at university and work and school here. So what can we do? Uh, Well, our strategy at church is to say we want to work in partnerships with people, where we are responsible to bring renewal in our sphere of influence here in Sydney. We want to work with partners in other parts of the world to do work that we can't do. So very simply, we might want to work just a slight detour now, we might want to do, we do want to do some work with indigenous Australians and, and, and the real difficulties and challenges facing indigenous Australians. Now, we can't do that, but we can find partners who can. We want to share the gospel of, of good, the good news of Jesus with Spanish students. We might do that through CMS with our, part, our missionary partners, our link missionaries. But in this instance, to address slavery, we want to work with International Justice Mission. And many of you are familiar with IJM, We've been involved with them for some time, but we want to up the involvement. We want to lean into this mission and join together uh, with churches around the world. There are more than 2,700 churches globally today uh, celebrating and leaning into Freedom Sunday. There's a global movement in the body of Christ to stand up and say, we want to end modern-day slavery in our generation just the way that the Clapham sect under John Newton and Lord Shaftesbury ended the transatlantic slave trade in their generation. We can end slavery in our generation. And we can do it through organizations like like IJM. Well, why IJM? Uh, IJM does a number of things. Uh, it protects people. Today, IJM are protecting more than 21 p- million people around the world. Uh, they, IJM is rescuing people. The vision of IJM and the mission is to rescue thousands, protect millions, and prove that justice for the poor is possible. Like, isn't that? So that one day... We won't have to ask ourselves the question, oh Lord, how can you be a God of love and power and justice? And how can the poor experience no justice? Because we'll have shown that in fact they can. The problem with injustice for the poor is not God's, the problem is ours. (laughs) And it's a solvable problem. We can actually change this. IJM is the largest international anti slavery organization in the world. Isn't that amazing? Started 20 years ago by one Christian lawyer, Gary Haugen, in the United States. And and it is deeply Christian, motivated at its core, saturated in prayer, shaped by spiritual disciplines of obedience and submission to Jesus, of quietness and stillness. The largest anti-slavery organization in the world is people like us, people of faith, following Jesus. That's amazing, right? Right? How cool is that? This is what Christian people do. We end injustice. We end oppression. We work with God to heal and renew the world. uh, And IJM is doing that. IJM has a proven model of change where as you remove impunity for evil, evildoers stop doing evil. So uh, over 1,200 convictions through IJM prosecution have happened to slave owners, rapists, and other criminals. And not just that, if you're into leverage, in the last five years alone, IJM have trained more than 45,000 officers and officials so that the work of protecting the poor, of setting the slaves free, is is work that needs to be done in India by Indian policemen, by Indian prosecutors, by Indian magistrates, by Indian politicians, by Indian social workers. And everywhere this injustice happens, uh, IJM is working to raise up and train locals to do this work. So uh, earlier this year, two of us from this church, Michelle England, who's a barrister, and myself, Uh, led a team of eight Australian barristers and judges to go and train barristers, prosecutors, and judges in Uganda so that we can train and equip and together mobilize civil society to end this evil. And IJM is working in nearly 20 communities around the world. The very latest office to open has been in Bangkok, in Thailand, to bring about freedom for the thousands of trafficked workers working in the Thai fishing industry, held in slavery on ships, uh, serving up fish for people like us, particularly prawns and things like that around the world. So if we do this, what can we expect? Well, when we work in this way with God, we can expect it to change us, can't we? (laughs) Like... It's changed me, (laughs) I'll tell you how it changes us. Here's one simple thing, man. It puts our own issues in perspective. You know we all joke around, oh, first world problems. They really are. They really are first world problems. Like, let me tell you, any time you can go to sleep at night knowing that you have a roof over your head, a house with secure titles so no one can steal your land from you, And you can go to sleep secure in your house knowing that people can't break in and steal your children from you and traffic them into commercial sexual exploitation with impunity. And any time you can go to work and get paid for your work and leave at the end of the day and change jobs if you want to without having your hands cut off, any day you can do that, that's a good day that 45 million people don't get. And another 4 billion people are at risk of losing. So our days are good days. Now, sometimes they're crappy and hard. I get that. You're doing the HSC. You've got some mental health issues. You know, you've got relationship challenges. They're all real. I don't, I don't want to diminish that at all. But how this changes, this changes us is by reframing our situation. And it changes us because we see that God is at work. And it starts you praying because you go, here's something real to pray for. Not just Aunt Matilda's ingrown toenail, which is causing her some discomfort. Now, Aunt Matilda needs healing from her ingrown toenail. That's really important. But it doesn't inspire and move you to pray passionately and persistently in the way that this stuff will. Changes our community. So we have a vision. Uh, We have a dream that our church will catalyze uh, an inner West anti-slavery coalition. How cool would it be if Darling Street or the Anglican Church or the body of Christ here in this part of the city became known as those who are catalyzing a whole movement in civil society to say, let's, let's end this scourge of modern-day slavery and we'll, we'll draw people in from all walks of life and mobilize people and raise support and raise awareness and change the world. And it's going to change the world because IJM's theory of change works. Uh, Here's an expected outcome. God's will is done on earth as it is done in heaven. We just prayed that in the Lord's Prayer. Well, let me tell you, God's will is not that 45 million people are held in slavery. (laughs) His will in heaven is that we're all free. So let's set people free. Here's another expected outcome that people will think Jesus is amazing. And they come to love him as they see him at work in and through us. Because he is. Because he's doing this incredible work. And we need to do this kind of work so that people can see that there's a God of justice at the heart of the universe. And that when we worship and love Jesus, we find our humanity back. And that he really is the hope of the world. People need to see that. When they think of Jesus, they need to think how wonderful and amazing he is. And they want to serve him. They don't want to think, oh, all Christians are a bunch of homophobic, bigoted fundamentalists who are no use to anyone. Huh. They just vote no and oppress everyone, right? We don't want that. Say, so, no. When they think of the church, they want to say, man, these people follow this amazing God. And I want to do that as well. Tell me more about this God who would move you to serve in this way and would work so powerfully in the world. That's what I dream of. That's what I dream of. Kumar's story has a great ending.
1: J.M. discovered the horrific conditions in the brick factory where Kumar and others were being forced to work against their will. And... Based on their undercover video evidence, local government authorities and police came alongside IJM to conduct a rescue operation. The more and more we are doing these rescues, people are getting aware that people are being abused. There is bonded labor, there is trafficking. Also, the law is going to take its course as well as perpetrators go behind. When the team arrived in the morning and entered the brick factory, Fifteen men, women, and children were rescued and given their freedom back. Then, they were each given a certificate to prove that they no longer owe any debts to their former owner. And one was for Kumar. After being rescued, IJM placed Kumar in their aftercare program to heal. You, you'd ask him a question anytime, no matter what, and he would say, The one thing I want to do, sir, is I want to study. He was clear about that. And then, they enrolled him in school for the first time. Today, he is studying to be a social worker help those still suffering like he did.
0: And what we do at IJM is we go look for that lost sheep, that girl that's being abused, that widow who's been run out of her home. We will search for her until we find her. That's how our Father has loved us. That's how we are called to love others. Not to search for them until we've satisfied ourselves. Not to search for them until it gets really hard. But to go after them until we find them. To be relentless in our love. So, uh, what do we do? Well, w- want to sign you up as Freedom Partners. Many of you already, s- I know, you already get emails, uh, prayer, on the prayer list for uh, IJM. And uh, we really, we really want to say prayer matters massively. So, up the back, I don't know if you got them on the way, and we've got these cards, uh, response cards, plan to end slavery begins with you. And on the back is the opportunity to uh, give your, put some details down and um, uh, your name and address and so on, and sign up to get uh, prayer information. And then go to their website and sign up to give if that's how God leads you. It'd be great if you put our church name down there if you're part of here if you're visiting from another church put our name down as well so we look better no no need um uh, so because we want to we want to see what kind of a movement and an impact this can have on us as a church our spiritual health and vitality as we really engage with this work so we can respond in this way we can get involved i'm great at casting a vision but i need we we want to we want a whole team of people to actually change the city so that we work to end slavery. So we're going to need people to help pull this coalition together to mobilize our church uh, to lean into this. Uh, next year, I'll be part of a constituent trip either to Chennai or to uh, Cebu in the Philippines. And if you want to come and visit and see the work, uh, you know, keep, keep uh, we'll, we'll let you know when that happens. Um, and let's get involved. Let's change the world. There is hope, right? I mean, this is, uh, this, is, this is not a recipe for despair. This is not saying that, uh, that evil will triumph. How are we going to, how are we going to sustain this? Right, I've been living, growing up in Africa, living in the context of, of, of uh, all kinds of evil for many years, and I say, where does the power come to keep doing this? Where does the power come, as followers of Jesus, to keep fighting against oppression and injustice? Well, The same, our power is the same life of the one who, though eternally free, became a slave to evil, injustice, and death, so that we, slaves ourselves to these very things, could be released into his eternal freedom. This life of this God, who, though free, became a slave for us, so we could be free forever. This is the life that, if you're a follower of Jesus, lives in you. This is the power. This is the power. Come. Let's change the world. Let's pray. Lord God, uh, thank you for the privilege of working with you, the God of justice, to bring justice and mercy to the violently oppressed poor, the slaves around the world. Forgive us for our apathy and indifference, our tiredness. It's all real, Lord, I know. But just... Just stir us up as a church, as a people, to put an end to this. And may you use us to mobilize a whole movement in the city of Sydney and in our country to make global slavery end in our generation. We ask this in your great name, Lord. Amen.